You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. How's it going? And Veronica Daschle. Hi. And we're just a threesome this week. Alan's on shore leave. So um, we'll start it off with some news. Uh, we had a few things going on this week. One is that William Shatner has officially uh, been awarded astronaut wings. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> nice. They announced this week that the FAA is stopping their commercial astronaut program. And instead, they'll be just listing people who've traveled, you know, the, the 50, was it 50 miles up into space? It'll be listed on their website. So people who 60. have, is it 60? Yeah, like um, 62, something crazy like that. Okay. Hang on. I've got it pulled up right here. Well, what they're recognizing is 50 statute miles. So I don't know. I don't know what the difference is with a statute mile. But, I used to know what that was because I thought it was 100 kilometers, about 60 something. But okay, it's farther than I've been. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but before they shut that program down, the people will qualify who made the trip in 2021 uh, on commercial flights, including Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, and William Shatner. So he's officially getting astronaut wings. I really think that is neat. I I, I think so too. And that uh, his Amazon special came out uh, this week. I haven't had a chance. I think yesterday as we're recording this and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm excited to. Yeah. I haven't seen that either. Um, I did. I was listening to, to inject something negative. For <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> I was listening to another interview with, um, I forget the name of the gentleman. He hosts a show on the BBC on, on BBC called hard talk. And they were talking to George Takei and he was I always try to stay out of that stuff, but he kind of needs to shut up because he was still dogging on Shatner yeah. about all this weird stuff. And I thought, wow, it's just kind of interesting. I thought I think it's such a cool thing that Shatner did. I mean, he's to me, like we say, he's an ambassador um, at that age. Remind you of what's possible. Yeah, uh, I think it's great. I just think it's great to see him do something like that. Yeah, um, I know that their their beef continues and I I don't, I don't care. You know, it's going to turn into yeah, like, I agree. like, um, Bella and Loki and, um, <laughs> let that be your last <laughs> battlefield. It'll be the last Star Trek <laughs> actors left and just fighting for all of eternity. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Also, um, on the television front, uh, Heather Caden has stepped down from, um, Alex Kurtzman's secret hideout and she has been replaced now by Aaron Byers as the president of TV. Uh, so Heather Caden's been along on this. Uh, she's been working with Alex Kurtzman for the last 12 years, both in Secret Hideout and his company before Secret Hideout. And she's been very involved with all the new Star Trek series. But now she's striking out on her own. And Miss um, Aaron Byers is stepping up to replace her. So so do we know anything about this Aaron Byers? Uh, yeah, he's been around. He's um, most recently he was Secret Hideout Senior Vice President of Television. So. He's not like up. coming in from the outside. No, he's no, they didn't like post it on Indeed or anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he's someone within Secret Hideout who's stepping up into uh, to be the president um, now. So, 
uh, good for him and good for her. I hope it works out for her. And, um, you know, I don't know what impact that'll have on the shows, but, you know, there it is. Yeah, I was going to say whether when I was reading that I didn't I, I don't know enough, honestly, to know if there's going to be any changes. Sometimes when people take over, you know, I mean, yeah. we go back to the we go back to the famous third season of Star Trek when people took over on the show level. And boy, did that change things. And <laughs> you think about people throughout the years like Brandon Tartikoff taking over at NBC and, and you see the the great things that they want. Yeah. But in reading that, I don't really know. I couldn't really tell if you know if we'd see any major change or not to right. anything. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but, you know, good for both of them. Yeah. And then one that uh, Keith brought to our attention is a pair of uh, Mr. Spock ear <laughs> tips that were in the personal collection of Leonard Nimoy have been donated. They've been donated? Yeah, they have been donated. To where? <laughs> to the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. I want um, to go there. I mean, I wanted to go there before, but me now too. I really need to go there. Yeah, we need to wait, though until um they reopen the wing where they have the enterprise studio model oh yes because if i'm going to go oh. there it's going to be when the enterprise is there yes yes <laughs> that's almost more important than seeing like the lunar landers and stuff <laughs> right yeah yes. i mean i spent a lot more time looking at that ship than i did the lunar landers yes yeah same here yeah evidently according to that article nimoy had more than one pair because mm. he just took them home and he had a little trophy case yeah where he had his ears displayed i mean why not this- it's not like they can reuse them or anything yeah I know, isn't that wild? And his son, Adam, d- donated these. And also the, the article said was they already have a pair of Spock ear tips. Uh, th- those were a, a fan set from Doug Drexler. Doug Drexler, that's right. Yep. And that was what he would use when he'd go to conventions, yeah. which is so weird to me. Cool, but wild. I, I laughed out yeah. loud when I read that. I did not know that. He had <laughs> convention ears made. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I totally believe that about Doug Drexler. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, these uh, Nimoy's ears will be going on uh, in display at the Kenneth C. Griffin Exploring the Planets Gallery in the fall of next year, 2022. So uh, exciting. If you want to go see a pair of uh, Leonard Nimoy's Spock ears in person, there you go. I wonder if there's any Leonard Nimoy DNA on there we can uh, <laughs> scrape off. Wait, you trying to do a cloning thing? Like <laughs> yeah. Stavros Caniclius? <laughs> no, like Sheldon. Oh, okay. Yeah, the infinite Vulcan. I was thinking of... Yeah, <laughs> I, it just blows my mind that you think about a show that was conceived in um, in 1964, the, the first draft written by Roddenberry, the treatment of this thing called Star Trek, that was saved by Lucille Ball, that started a guy, or had a guy who people were afraid of at the time because he looked like a demon or a devil, and five decades later, his ears are in the Smithsonian. That, that, you know, the most cliche thing you ever ask a creator is, did you know when you did it that it was going to turn out like this? No way. Right. I mean, right. just no way. It's, it's, it's inconceivable to quote what's his face from uh, Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah. And they've told the story for years that the early publicity material, they're airbrushing out Nimoy's ears. That's right. Specifically because that's what they were concerned about. And now those ear tips are on display at the Smithsonian's or going to be. So that's, <laughs> that's Take exciting. That. Don yes. devil likers. We won. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, did we have any this week in Trek this week? I did. I had just a couple of things. Uh, let me find it real quick. And I hope you don't hear the rustling of the paper because I'm still old school and I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had a couple of things happen this week in Trek history. Um, unfortunately, a, a death we lost on um, the 13th of December back in 2002. Um, easy one. Cry Havoc 
and let slip the dogs of war. <laughs> you know what that is. Do you know that, Veronica? No. Okay. Have you <sighs> seen um, what? What? Which musical was he in? It. I always forget <laughs> the King and I, and it wasn't the King and I. It was the other. The one. musical the that he hated. Music. The sound of the sound music. Of which music. He hated. Yes. Yes. He was in the sound. He was he? Was he the Von Trapp guy? In the Sound that's, of Music. That, that's. I don't remember his name is. Yeah, that's it. They were the Von Trapps, right? I don't like that movie, but yeah, you're right. But that did he? Him. Did he play? The, did he play the dad? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I know the. I I, I know him from that. <laughs> Christopher Plummer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I know the name now. Yeah. I recognize the name. He was. He was another Klingon. Yeah. He was. Yeah. What was his name? Yeah. One of my blinking Chang. Chang. Yes, in yeah. um, the Undiscovered Country. The one that was on okay. the spaceship that could uh, shoot weapons while cloaked. The one that was yep. in on the conspiracy to basically keep the Federation, the Klingons and Romulans at odds with each other. Okay. He was the bald Klingon. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Who was so tough that he had an eye patch bolted to his skull. <laughs> 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 now that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Great actor. Just another one of those classic guys. He was born in 1929. And wow. just, yeah, one of those guys, he'd done everything, theater, movies, and like so many people in the early Star Trek days got to start in Shakespeare, as you could tell, because he literally was quoting Shakespeare because they claim what the movie that you you don't know Shakespeare until you've heard it, the original Klingon. So right. <laughs> one of my favorite characters and a great actor. Oh, speaking of Klingon and Shakespeare and and whatnot, there's a if you can find it out there, there's a fantastic Klingon Christmas Carol uh video out there if anyone can mm-hmm. find it that's hilarious the yeah. klingon yeah. christmas carol yeah, yeah. it's a stage production they did a few years ago we have a dvd <sighs> copy because they were offering it at the time if you donated to the little theater company you, they'd send you a dvd okay. and so okay. it's hard to come by but it's very well done that's kind of cool i actually on completely opposite bad subject i actually watched some of the star wars christmas special last night oh. so that can't that be worse so than good. this no oh. no oh. God, cringeworthy. No. <laughs> it's adorable. Uh, gosh, this is kind of sad stuff. God, I hate the fact this is all I found. But um, <laughs> also, another person we lost um, on this on in 14th of December was um, Herbert Solo. Oh. And I don't, you probably don't know that name, Veronica, but I know Charles knows that name. Herbert Solo was executive producer on the original series. And okay. That may not sound like a big deal, but he was so much more important than that. Um, everybody knows the story that Gene Roddenberry with the first pilot of Star Trek didn't hit and that the show was not going to be picked up. But in something that's even to this day rare, they did a second pilot. And the story kind of goes that Gene Roddenberry really is the one who sold it. But the truth of the matter is that Gene Roddenberry was not the most eloquent speaker sometimes. He was at, he was a big guy. <laughs> And a talkative guy, but he was kind of shy and he was actually kind of awkward sometimes. So when he first pitched Star Trek to Desilu Studios, which had most of its properties on CBS, they rejected the, pro- the property because it, he called it Wagon Train to the Stars. And they're like, what are you talking about? This makes no sense. And <laughs> it was actually Herbert Solo who was brought in later, who, when Roddenberry was granted a second pitch effort, this time at NBC, it was Solo who worked with Roddenberry and coached him. And one of the things he said was, Gene, shut up talking unless they ask you a direct question. 
And for God's sake, drop Wagon Train to the Stars because that makes no sense. <laughs> and he coached Roddenberry on how to present Star Trek. And that's why Star Trek got picked up. Later, so he's the savior of Star Trek. Yeah. There's so many people behind the scenes with Star Trek. And it's like any show, you know, it's kind of like George Lucas created Star Wars, but the best movie, in my opinion, Empire Strikes Back, was not written by George Lucas, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And Solo and Justin and others were much more instrumental in a lot of ways, basically helping Gene. The other thing that happened is that at the time, Desley Studios was doing other shows such as Mission Impossible. And after the first few episodes, the, the Desley executives were like, man, this show costs too much, Star Trek. So they were going to dump one of the shows, like something's got to go. And it was Solo who went and had a meeting with the executives at Desilu who said, we've got to save Star Trek. And all the executives were like, this show makes no sense. We're going to dump it. Lucille Ball happened to be in the room that day. And all she did was nod her head at Solo and that saved Star Trek. Mm. And mm. yeah. And then this guy went on to become executive producer. So he did so much stuff behind the scenes. Um, like so many people, Roddenberry had the vision, but it takes so many more people to make it work mm -hmm. and solo is literally one of the i'd say really one of the two or three most important people in trek history although almost nobody knows his name nowadays yeah but to original series fans his name was very memorable yes and, and a lot of the reason is because on the end credits his credit was over the picture of baylock and you're yes. always waiting for that picture of the baylock puppet to come up and it would say yeah. executive in charge of production herbert f solo Right. Which, uh, I think they did deliberately. I think that was an end joke <laughs> for the production guys. <laughs> yeah, every, every time the, this, the original series and credits come up, you just wait for that image of Baylock to come up. <laughs> right. And two more things that might sound just a little, well, gosh, this is horrible, guys, but one more death. This, this is, It's horrible. But on the 18th of December, we lost Mantle Barrett. Mm. Uh, back in 2002 and the thing about her i i listening now i don't think i realized how often her voice was the voice of the computer i didn't really pay yeah. attention to her until much much later when i picked up i used to have a whole set of star trek dvds the like next generation dvds i had the technical manuals on dvds and all the technical manuals were recorded in her voice and i now listening back i don't think i realized how much voice work she had really done for how many yeah. years oh yeah yeah, they had talked about a few years ago that I think it's her son was behind it and they were going to mm -hmm. compile her voice clips and do like a, you know, one of those computerized voice things where it would speak in her voice. Like, wow. you know, you you see on you know, like Waze or whatever the you right. get different GPS voices, but you could do Majel because she had to have recorded every word there is. <laughs> you yeah. know, you <laughs> no kidding. The yeah, that's a good point. And things. Uh, yeah. But I, I never heard anything else about that. But um i really hope that happens yeah she was she was huge for star trek and not only for the computer voice but i mean she played number one she played yeah. nurse chapel she played loxana troy you know right iconic yeah and then she was she was a star on a show that i loved the first half of which is unfortunately one of the legendary failures which another star roddenberry property which was the series earth final conflict mm. uh, i don't know if y'all have ever seen that but it, along with Andromeda, were properties based on notes that Jane Roddenberry had written for a new series. It started out really great, and then it just petered out. But she was actually one of the stars of that show as well. So, Wow, um, that sounds a lot like Andromeda. Uh, yeah, but they, and, and <laughs> yes, yes, it had a similar, a similar path as Andromeda. But I think the Andromeda good to bad switch happened a lot more abruptly. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then one more uh, thing that's not a bad thing. This is I put this in for Veronica on. <laughs> Uh, 1997, December 17th, was the premiere of an episode of DS9 called The Magnificent Ferengi. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Which was an absolute Magnificent Seven slash Seven Samurai ripoff. And it was basically just about every Ferengi that had ever shown up on DS9 had to go rip, uh, rescue Moogie, who had been <laughs> kidnapped by the Dominion. And I guess hilarity ensues. <laughs> I, I have only a vague memory of them getting together to rescue Moogie, who mm. didn't, didn't didn't need rescuing, from what I recall. Well, or maybe she, I'm recalling wrong. Well, she 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 being brilliant, she had the she had the Vorta who was holding her hostage. She was basically talking to him about um, deals and how to how to make profit. But he was still going <laughs> to kill her if they didn't if they didn't basically pay a ransom. And that's the show. Spoilers for those who haven't seen it. That's the show that, long story short, ends up with somebody getting killed, and then they have to put them on a they have to wire them up and make them a remote control zombie kind of person. So <laughs> it, it kind of flies off the yeah. rails pretty well. Yeah. Funny story about that episode. When it mm -hmm. came out, I was six sixteen, mm -hmm. and my girlfriend at the time she was not from a sci-fi background, but yeah, she knew that I like Star Trek. So she decided that she was going to watch an episode of Star Trek at the same time I was watching it. We could talk on the phone and won't that be uh. sweet, but she had trouble with the TV. So she had to get her brother to come help her to fix the TV. And her brother's a big jock and they're on the phone. And the episode was the Magnificent Ferengi. And I was just <laughs> so mortified. Oh like, what is this show that you like? <laughs> like? It's not this every week, I promise. The only thing worse would have been um, move along home. Right. <laughs> just, like, they thought I, I would have the weirdest tag. They were probably right. <laughs> that wasn't the episode where Iggy Pop played the Vorta, was it? Yeah. That was Iggy Pop. Okay. Yeah. 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 Iggy Pop. Uh, so there you go. And you got a little Spock's yeah. brain reference in there too when they're driving that yes. dead Vorta around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's this week in Trek. Awesome. Then we'll we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. And then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. There are a lot of great podcasts that review Doctor Who episodes in order. The Earth Station Who podcast is not one of them. Just like the Doctor, we never know where or when we'll end up, but we'll have a lot of fun talking about it. From classic Who to new series and big finish, join the Earth Station Who crew wherever fine podcasts are found. Earth Station Who is a founding member of the ESO Network. All right, so this week we're talking about changing our opinions. Uh, this is a topic that Keith suggested to us of things that we liked about Star Trek when we were younger and don't like now, or vice versa. Did I have that right, Keith? Correct. So what's an example? Well, what I was thinking of is a lot of times it, I hear people so often say that when they're younger and they like Star Trek, some people, it's just because of the action and the aliens and the special effects. And mm -hmm. some episodes that are quote-unquote slow or maybe too dramatic they don't like and then when they get older, as things happen, like the cliche things, people get married, people lose loved ones, people you know, get diseases, and they start appreciating shows they didn't like as you get older. For example, I've heard so many people who didn't love, didn't just didn't just love the inner light when they were young. It was a fine show. Mm -hmm. But as they get older, you know, and they lose their parents and so forth. 
they look back and they love that show. Um, or some people don't like certain characters and then they get older and they realize, well, you know, it wasn't really the character. It wasn't the actor. It was the writing around it. And I've noticed a lot of some of my things have changed like that. So I was just wondering how other people's opinions may have changed about track over the years. So for me, um, I mean, like TNG was in syndication. So Mm -hmm. that's pretty much how I saw it. And that was the extent of my Trek experience pretty much until I met Chuck. Mm -hmm. I don't think I even went and saw the 2009 movie and it took Chuck a while for, for him to get me into um, like really watching some of the other Star Trek. Like mm-hmm. we not long after we had uh, first got an apartment together, um, I was sitting on my laptop playing Civilization five and he was playing DS nine on the TV while I was there playing, trying to trick me into watching DS nine. But I was having an event. <laughs> I was playing Civilization well, what you're skipping over is that I have been trying to get you to like Deep Space Nine for like a year at that time. And you did not like Deep Space Nine. I don't remember why either. I don't either. I even, I, I tried to start from the beginning and I, you couldn't get into it. And I thought, well, maybe it, I mean, DS9 is sort of tough to get into. Right. You know, you, right. you can't watch season one and then have an idea of how good season five is going to be. For exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I knew that if I could get you into it, that you would love it because yes. it's all about characters and ongoing storylines. So I tried instead to start you off with Way of the Warrior, thinking that, you know, Worf, and it's sort of a reintroduction to the show, and they more had their footings by then. And you made me stop it halfway through uh, so uh, you and my daughter could go watch an awesome <laughs> Twins movie. <laughs> so that, that brings you up to the point where I, I just started playing it while you were in the room. In the hopes that you, like it. you just going to absorb it. But it's okay. funny now to think of you not liking Deep Space Nine. Yes. Yes. Really? <laughs> but now you love Deep Space Nine. Yes. Like you, I mean, Deep Space Nine is probably on. Every day. At, really? at least every night. Yeah, because we always turn Star Trek on when we're going to bed and put a nice. timer on and lay there and watch Star Trek and fall asleep. And usually it's Deep Space Nine. But Deep Space Nine is very comfortable to watch. It's like you. It's like you're on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like a place. And, and like some of the other um, newer stuff or even TNG occasionally got this way. It's not so random, bright, flashy, loud, random noises um, like some of the other um, Star Treks occasionally can be. Not all the time, but I say hate to say it helps me go to sleep. But um... <laughs> <laughs> that that that, that's very common. Ron, what was it about DS9 that you think you didn't like at first and why you end up liking it later? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> like, like genuinely, I cannot figure out why I did not get into DS9. Um, I think um, for Voyager, I was hesitant to Voyager because of what Chuck had told me about it. But it turns out that he played it down a little bit because he didn't want me to end up liking Voyager more than DS9. No, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that you just weren't engaging with the characters on yeah. DS9. DS9 is a little bit harder to penetrate because the characters, there's a little more to them. They're a little more prickly. Um, right. it's not as like, like Voyager, I mean, season one to season seven, the characters are pretty much the characters. They change yeah. a little bit of the course of Absolutely. the show, but, uh, they're all kind of likable. They get along for the most part, right. sort of like in a next gen kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would have a hard time living with you for the rest of my life. If you loved Voyager and hated DS9. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't gonna let that happen. <laughs> How about you, Charles? Something that you... Well, actually, Voyager was going to be the first one I was going to mention. Because when, okay. when Voyager was on, I guess, what was mm-hmm. it debut? 95? 96? 95? 
That's why it was the Somewhere second or third season of DS9. It could have been 96 because 96 was the, was the anniversary. So I'm going to say 95 and we'll see mm-hmm. later if I'm right. But so I would have been about 14. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I was watching, I watched at that point, I'm watching everything Star Trek that came on. But as it went on, sort of in the later seasons, you know, television was changing. It was becoming more complex, more serialized. And DS9 was staying on the cutting edge of that. And they were doing right. more serialized stories. And you had things like Babylon 5 come along. Yes. Even shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or X Files that were doing more serialized stuff on television. I felt like Voyager was just stuck in this next gen style mm-hmm. episode of the week. And I got, I just got tired of it. And I felt that way, even going into enterprise. And so for a long time, I was sort of anti Voyager across the board. I was a DS9 mm. fan. I was an original series fan and just Voyager stinks. You know, <laughs> characters are bad. Chakotay is, te- is terrible. Um, but I found, I found in the last couple of years, I, I guess I'm just getting nostalgic for that old episodic television <laughs> style, you right. know? So I've been watching Voyager again, and I, I find that I like it a lot more. I like the characters more. Uh, it bothers me less now that the storylines don't, you know, the characters sort of just reset at the end of the episode. Like, yeah. Like used to happen in the old days. But I guess now I'm I'm just more nostalgic for that now that every show is dark and serialized. Yeah. <laughs> I can <laughs> to see have that. Just a, a, a weird sci-fi story of the week is is fun. And and I, I'm I'm coming back around to Voyager now. It's kind of cool. If we, I guess we keep it on a Voyager theme. I remember I maybe mentioned this once before, but there was two two characters on Voyager I didn't like, and looking at them now, I like them differently. Gosh, this, I'll tell the story in sixty seconds. Back in two thousand and eight, <laughs> I was laid off from my job of ten years, and this is at the height mm. of the, the economic downturn. I work mm. in IT, and I and I ran into a problem where. Basically, I was bumping into all the younger people who were taking less money mm-hmm. than me and the older people with more experience who were coming down to my level. So I went a long time without working, and it was a horrible mm-hmm. time. We had just bought our first house like a year before that. Ooh. And I remember uh, not getting too maudlin, but I remember there were nights where I, I didn't sleep. I just walked the house going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? It was a horrible time. And what happened was the local station, I think it was the CW, happened to be showing Voyager reruns at like 3 in the morning. Oh, and no. I was in a state for months where I was up at three in the morning and I just started watching Voyager because it was better than staring at the walls and freaking out. Yeah. And I started to what you're saying, Charles, I started, I started seeing them kind of as a family and they were lost and I was lost and even, you know, they were lost in space and just watching them go through the little struggles, even goofy Neelix in the, in the galley burning stuff all the time. It became comforting to me. And it was just, even though, again, they were, they were dealing with aliens and stuff, just watching them deal with these things, it, I started liking it. And then like you, I didn't like Voyager much when it first premiered. It, it, was, just, it was just an okay series. So yeah. I watched maybe 65% of Voyager on first run, which for me is an amazingly low number. And then I watched it again. I started liking it. But one character I had a problem with when I was younger, which is so weird, was Delana Torres. And the problem I have with Belana Torres is extremely personal. And the problem was she wasn't proud of her racial heritage. Mm. Belana mm. Torres is mixed race. She's human and Klingon. And the series, sometimes in some brutal ways, shows her hating her Klingon half. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Voyager. <laughs> but there's an episode when Belana and Tom get together and, they're, and they end up um, get married and she has a baby, she's pregnant. She finds out that her baby's gonna have forehead ridges. 
because uh, the doctor tells her that Klingon DNA is extremely dominant and it goes on for like generations. She was thinking, well, look, I'm only half human and the baby's only going to be a quarter or a quarter human because of Tom. How could it have Klingon features? And the doctor says, well, certain Klingon features are very dominant. Right. And she literally reprograms the doctor to try to genetically change her baby so her baby doesn't look like a Klingon. Mm. Yep. And me, frankly, being a black person growing up in America, when I was younger, especially, I had the hardest time relating to people like that, like people who mm. are like there's a there's a there's a thing in the black community. There's a movie out called Passing you may have heard of. There's that whole concept where black people who are light skinned enough, mixed race enough back in the day would pass mm -hmm. as white so they didn't get lynched right. or something. And I was right. always like, I'd never do that. I can't believe it. I can't ah! And I just had a fit. And I, and, I, and I really almost I almost had contempt for Bellana because mm -hmm. as a black man who's always been proud to be black, I had a huge problem with someone hiding any part of their identity. Now, as I've gotten older, I still feel that way about myself, but I've gotten older I've learned about these things that you need to understand. Sometimes people are scared. Sometimes people are weak. Sometimes it's just so painful for people that they can't deal with it. And actually yeah. in the show, ironically, Tom Paris helped Bolano become more comfortable with being a Klingon, which is the weirdest thing on the planet. And it just, I just looking at her the second time around, I was able to look at her and go, okay, I would like to think I would never get to that place. But instead of looking down on her, I started feeling for her and understanding how sometimes the thing you are can be so painful that you don't want to be it and you don't want to be that way, but it is what it is. And that's probably the biggest change because I used to almost not be able to stand Bellana when they did those, oh, she hates me in a Klingon. Like, oh my God, give it up. Just be proud of what you are. But now I understand it more. And I think that's the biggest mm. change I've had watching the series. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and talking about sort of understanding things, I mean, I, I had a problem for a long time with Keiko O'Brien. Like, mm. I didn't like Keiko. I just thought of her as a nag. She's always on Miles' <laughs> case. Yes. You can't have your workshop in the bedroom. Oh, right. yeah, Miles, come home. Don't hang out with Julian. And, you know, especially when I'm 15, 20, 25. Yes. And I, I'm like, leave him alone. Let him hang out with Julian. Like, it's so right. much more fun. And But now as I've gotten older, I, you know, I'm, I'm watching the episodes now. I'm, 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 I'm turned 41 this month. I'm probably about the age that O'Brien was at the time. And I'm like, dude, why is your workshop in the bedroom? Like, you, know, like, you really should not have your work. Like, like when you're funny. going out to a bar with your buddy instead of being, if like if I was out yes. at a bar with my buddy right now, instead of home with my family, like what a yes. jerk, like, dude, like go home and take care of your family. You don't have to go play Alamo with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that too. It didn't pick up your socks. It was always a big thing about him not picking his socks up. But for real, though, I have no idea why she would have so much problem with that. <laughs> well, I'm just saying as a 40 year old man, though, you should pick up your socks. I agree. You should. You know, I agree. Did you have another one, Veronica? <laughs> I, I, I remember that I did. And now I'm not remembering it. Okay. But I feel like it has something to do with TNG and enjoying TNG <laughs> before and not enjoying it as much now. Oh, it's like it's it's it's, oh, it's OK. I feel the same way. I I. I I think it's um simply because that's like the only Star Trek I knew, so that was like that was all, always Star Trek. Like I, I didn't even realize the original series Enterprise and the TNG Enterprise were different <laughs> for a very long time. I didn't it didn't click in my brain that the theme songs were different. <laughs> I thought it was all the same. TNG was Star Trek. It, it was all it was, it was Star Trek, and and I guess after seeing all this other stuff and realizing everything that Star Trek 
is and can be, it wasn't quite as shiny as I remembered it being. Um, I can see that. And it wasn't as as gripping as I remembered it being. I, you know, it's funny you say that because I feel the same way. I love Next Generation, but of course I'm I'm way older than you are, and I grew up on the original series. But I've been doing an original series rewatch, and I've been listening to some some podcasts that cover the original series. And lest some people think that I'm one of those people who can't change and adapt the times, that is not true. I can, but <laughs> there are so many ways, honestly, in which the original series is still the best with the drama. It comes from a different mm. time. It comes from a time when almost everybody who worked on television shows, science fiction or not, had backgrounds in Shakespeare and theater, from the actors to the producer. Gene Rottenberry was doing television shows. And so what you're saying, Veronica, I felt the same way. I love I loved The Next Generation, but there are some episodes where it just feels kind of mannered, almost too mannered. It, it feels kind yeah. of safe. I don't love the interior of the ship. Um, I love individual episodes and I love uh, warp. I love the show, but I agree with you. It doesn't have the exact same appeal to me that it used to have. And that's not a bad thing, but I don't turn to it. I'm actually more likely now to turn to DS9, Voyager, original series, and even Enterprise before TNG, unless it's episodes I adore, like, the, um, like uh, gosh, what is the one? Yesterday's Enterprise or Who Watches the Watchers or Dharma yeah. or something like that. Yes. Right. It's yeah. funny you say that about the original series, too, because like, like we were watching the ready room this evening and I don't want to give away what they're talking about, but they're doing a montage of various uh, older Star Trek shows. And the original series was among them, along with Next Gen, Voyager, DS9. And I made a comment to Veronica, like the original series just looks so much more dynamic it does. than the other mm-hmm. shows. It's just it's just more colorful. Yeah. The, the framing's more interesting. Even they're in a cave and it's not all gray, like the caves are brightly colored you know <laughs> or yeah. even multicolored i was trying to think before, you know leading up to this recording if if there's any because the original series is like my my original love of star trek same here and i'm trying to think if there's any of my opinions about the original series that have changed but i really can't think of any which maybe that's <laughs> to me but from the time i was like 11 me, to now that i'm almost 41 me too you know? and i want to throw one more in real quick and i'm sorry about this but one group that my opinion has changed about negatively is the Ferengi. And <gasps> I know, Veronica, <laughs> for those who don't know, she's shooting death beams across the thing. It was a balls down. No, I was a shocked face. Come on. We, you know, we always talk about that term in Star Trek, which is common in a lot of science fiction, is the monoculture. And the Ferengi are so monocultural that when I watch the show, you look at Armin Shimmerman and all those, those are phenomenally good actors. I mean, really, really good actors. But the Ferengi are so comedic so often that I just get tired of it. Now, when they do some dramatic stuff, I love it. I love um, Nog, of course, going into Starfleet and the things that happen with him. But there's so many episodes where they're just so over-the-top sexist and they're so over-the-top mm-hmm. uh, capitalistic that all, all, this, all the alien races in Star Trek are, are monocultural. Everybody, you know, the Vulcans are extremely logical. The Klingons are violent. The Romulans are treacherous, on and on and on. For some reason, only humans seem to have the gamut. But... And, and Veronica, it's not that I don't like the Ferengi. I just think that they needed to have been fleshed out more. And so when I watch them, there's yes. so many times where I'm like, oh, man, not another one of these episodes. But when Cork is serious, like during the war and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I love it. I just think that they were underwritten after a while. So I actually like them less because I don't think they were treated as well as they could have been in that series. 
I agree. Yeah. More Ferengi backstory with <laughs> uh, more Ferengi like Nog and Moogie and Rom. Yeah. And that, oh, and that one, one, uh, one girl who disguised herself as a male oh, Ferengi yeah. and Was ran away. Pell. Pell. Yeah, yeah. Pell. I want to meet more of those Ferengi because, I mean, a lot of the Ferengi that you meet are like the head honchos who are like the super greedy people. Right. And you don't like meet the regular people. I mean, even even Klingons, like you don't meet the like intelligent lawyer Klingons or the artist Klingons or anything like that. You only meet the warriors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like people talk about the mirror universe where they say the Empire could have lasted as long as it even lasted. It's like literally if every ship you're somebody next to you is getting ready to stab you in the back, you couldn't exist. And I guess you could have a culture like that. But I mean, even get to the point where like you go to see somebody, you pay them a bribe. And when people die, you cut up their body parts and sell them. I don't know. It, it, it just they went so far <laughs> on that. But anyway, that was just it for me. Um, I just like them less. But that's because they weren't written as well as I like. Yeah. But, you know, I just finished saying that my opinions of the original series hadn't changed since mm-hmm. I was a kid. And then as you started talking, it occurred to me that they have. Uh-huh. And I, I've actually recently I wrote a long piece on my personal Facebook page about this, but there's there are a lot of sort of artifacts of the 1960s that bother me a lot more mm. now than they did when I was young that I didn't pick up on mm-hmm. things like John Colicos being a white man who's <laughs> yes. you know in brown face like Genghis Khan yes. as a Klingon. All of them. Which yeah. that at the time I just to me that was he was a Klingon, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching it now and it's like, oh guys, you were so close, yeah, you know. Cool. It, that doesn't that doesn't hold up and things like you know we before prodigy came out i re i rewatched uh is there in truth no beauty mm-hmm. and i'd forgotten how much of that episode is just the all the men on the ship being super awkward about how hot miranda jones is <laughs> yes. point, like they're in a briefing and yes. McCoy stands up and is like miranda jones the most beautiful <laughs> like, like guys you're at work like right. exactly you know so I, what i was just saying wasn't true there there are a lot of ways in which the original series you know, isn't as progressive now as right. it might have been in the '60s. A lot of things from the '60s that seem normal to them that that haven't haven't held up. But I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't hold that against the show because I'm talking about it 50 years in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I would hate to think of what a person 50 years in the future might think of of the shows now or about my opinions now. They, you know, I've got advantage over them that I'm I'm living in the future. But th- there are a lot of things like that in the original series that that jump out at you more, or at least jump out at me more as I get older and and learn more about things and about the world. Yeah. yeah, I wonder if that's part of the reason as well that um, TNG doesn't um, isn't as exciting for me because I mean even in TNG, even as they're moving into the '90s, there's still some of that. Oh, there's, there's a lot of the sexism stuff going yeah. on in yeah. TNG still. Yeah, 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 they, yeah. They hadn't gotten it quite right yet. Then. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree. With you Troy talking. gets a lot of that. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, I agree with you uh, because in the original series, you're right. Like Janice Rand, who I think is probably possibly the single greatest casualty in all the Trek history. Um, mm. She was literally nothing but a, I was just listening to some stuff about that. And Janice Rand was love interest for Kurt. And if you look at all her episodes, they almost all boil down to some focus on her looks, you know, and, and no matter what mm. the thing is, Charlie X falls in love with her yeah. in Miri. She's mm-hmm. like, Catherine, would you look at my legs? Look at my legs. And you know, all this kind of weird stuff. Oh, yeah. There's one, there's one episode, it was either the Corbomite Maneuver or Balance of Terror, where she comes in serving coffee. And they're like, oh, well, how'd you heat up the coffee? The power's out. I use a hand phaser, zap, coffee. Like, dude, <laughs> seriously? So this woman who yeah. also was took the helm one time 
is giving coffee to the man. <laughs> but the reason I say right. that is because MSC was basically like, look, we got to lose a woman on the bridge because we can't have Kirk tied down with a love interest. And if you think about that, is why did she have to be his love interest? You think about that. Yeah. She's, you know, she's everybody thinks she's a good looking woman. So, of course, she's got to be the object of his desire. Why couldn't she have just been a competent bridge officer? Um, yeah. But they got rid of her. Yeah. Like, you can't you're tying Kirk down. You got to go. So yeah. I agree with well, you. Well, I think there were some other things Grace Lee Whitney was going through behind the scenes. Yeah, with the, subs, that the, as well. the drinking and yeah. so forth. Right. Yeah. That. And there's some other things that I don't know enough about to talk about mm-hmm. on a podcast. Mm-hmm. But um Hey guys, it's Chuck Cuttigan during the editing. Uh, I avoided talking about uh, Grace Lee Whitney's sexual assault in this episode because I didn't have all the facts in front of me and it wasn't the sort of thing I wanted to just talk about off the cuff um, and unprepared. But then I felt bad afterward that we had just sort of skipped over it and without even a mention. So I wanted to just uh, drop back in and say that Grace Lee Whitney gives an account of the sexual assault that she experienced by a producer on the set of Star Trek and then her subsequent termination in her book, The Longest Trek, My Tour of the Galaxy, uh, which you can find on Amazon or probably wherever else you find books. But also, the day after we recorded this, a YouTuber that I follow by the name of Jesse Gender released a fantastic video. It's almost three hours long exploring sexuality in Star Trek, the original series, uh, both on screen and behind the scenes. And that's available on her channel, uh, Jesse Gender. And the video is called Sex in Star Trek, Exploring Gene Roddenberry's Sexual Frontier. And for the most part, it's a very lighthearted, uh, sort of fun look at sexuality in Star Trek. But she does also uh, give Grace Lee Whitney's account of her sexual assault over the course of that episode. So I wanted to um, just point people towards that as well, both Grace Lee Whitney's book and Jesse Gender's video. Both are great resources if you have an interest in some of the topics that we had sort of grazed past in this episode. Thanks, and back to the show. Yeah, it was a shame to lose her, and it was a shame that you know, you, like you said, you couldn't have just had her be a competent officer right. on the ship. Right. You know, she had to be his sort of his girl Friday. Exactly. All right, we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show, and then when we get back, we'll be talking about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. So stay right there. Hey, Joe. Hey, Tony. Do you like ads about podcasts? You know it. How about ads about Doctor Who podcasts? Even better. Well, you're in luck, because this is an ad about a Doctor Who podcast. Wow, I love it. And you'll love us, the Watchathon of Rassilon, a podcast about Doctor Who. I'll buy 12. Actually, it's free. I'll buy 13, then. <laughs> I thought that was turning into like a little sing song. No. <laughs> no, no, right? <laughs> yeah, spoilers for the fifth episode of season four of Star Trek Discovery, The Examples. And again, we had quite a lot going on in this episode. We had some really good guest stars this week, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, Michael Gray Eyes played the character of Felix, and I thought he was really good. And I, I really enjoyed Was it Rua Tarka? Ru- Ruan Tarka? The doctor, the scientist. Oh, yeah. Tarka, yes. Tarka. It was Tarka. Tarka. Yes, I, rem- I remember, t- I I remember yeah. Tarka um, because it's because it, when I first heard it, I thought they said Lorca. No. Ah. I don't know why. <laughs> That's a good but I thought though. they said Lorca, and I was very 
it was very strange. Yeah, but he was played by uh, Sean Doyle, who was on The Expanse uh, not too long ago. So he was um, a lot of fun. I I thought he was fun too. I thought it was nice having someone who's fun on Discovery. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't not I, like super serious. And yeah. oh, I'm going to have fun with this, but I'm also going to take it too far because obviously I'm having fun, so I'm crazy. I did write in my notes. What was up with the bellowing, yelling scene, though? <laughs> yeah, I, I I just thought imagine if someone at work did that. If someone <laughs> yelled in your face like that at work, like. That, I would not stand for that. Like, no, just yeah. go back to work yeah. after that. Like, yeah, somebody <laughs> in my face did that. They'd be under the table. Also, I was thinking, you know, now that Saru unlocked, you know, the whatever where his people went past that basically change of life and stuff, mm-hmm. I was terrified Saru was going to snap him in half. <laughs> I really was. I was too. Because <laughs> Saru is yeah. really strong, right? Super strong, super mm-hmm. fast, actually has a predatory nature. So I was, but I think, it, your, but I guess. I get it caught him so off guard. He was like, "What?" So I guess that's why I say that. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "What?" what? <laughs> yeah. Um, we we got some more info on the DMA this week. Well, I say info. They they noticed that it it disappears in one place and reappears in another place. Yeah. And from that, they made the logical leap that it has to be artificially constructed. Right. Which that threw me off right at the very start. I'm like, I'm not following that trend a lot. Like me you tell me, there's nothing in the thousand year of Starfleet history, no natural occurring object that disappears and reappears somewhere else or in the what 200,000 year knowledge that the sphere data had no no record how about i mean the tardigrade leaps to mind yeah the tardigrade yeah. disappeared yes. and reappeared yeah that was in this show and not to mention even on um even on we were just talking about even on the next generation remember that one episode where they were bidding for access to a wormhole that they thought was stable the barzan wormhole yeah, Bar-Z- and it turns out the other side of it was always flopping around which is how Toodles two frames yeah. ended up in the yeah it's so funny you said that charles because i literally have my notes where stan that says the possibility of another like when it reappeared he literally said the possibility of another phenomenon just like this existing is next to nil and i wrote down how do you know? You don't even know what this is. So how can you tell me <laughs> right. this can't happen again, right? It's like, it can't happen again in nature. What? It, it reminded me of that scene in season two when <laughs> Saru got a good look at the uh, the angel suit. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, it's very high tech. It has to be from the future. And everyone's like, well, yep, it has to be from the future. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> exactly. Like, that doesn't mean it has to be from the no. future. And it's the same sort of thing here. It's like, nope, this is the new plot development. Let's carry on. Yes. Like, okay. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, someone created it. <laughs> That's what we're going with. Yeah. I didn't, I, I, I didn't really buy that either. Yeah, I agree. Cause you're right. There, there's, there's creatures, there's all kinds of things. But like you said, I guess we just have Discovery to go. Discovery itself. Yeah, yeah the sc- discovery at least is artificially constructed, but the mycelial network isn't. Yes, and that's, so that's how use. it travels. And like I said, the tardigrade is an animal, and it disappears and reappears. Right. <laughs> I'm sure there's more examples that I haven't thought of, but there, I, there's got to be. Yeah, I, I thought so. I th- yeah, I thought that was a bit of a stretch, but I, I, w- I will say I find about discovery, it's I don't want to say frustrating, but it's puzzling a little bit because, and I hate to use this term. But it felt more, quote unquote, Star Trek today mm-hmm. than a lot of yeah. Discovery. And I like that. But then every now and then they kind of add a couple of beats. and like, oh, it reminds me it's not Discovery. Because, again, like when the dude who uh, I forget his name with the, the prisoner who was mm-hmm. uh, decided to stay on the planet to kill him, to, let, to, to commit suicide, honorable death, even though he's been in prison for 30 years. I remember it again what Alan keeps talking about again, which was it's like, is this their thing? He confesses. 
And then she says, put down the privacy shield. And I don't know what that was. And for some reason, I thought about the cone of silence and get smart. That's what I thought of. <laughs> the cone of silence. Yeah, I was like, some glass to drop down. And then he goes, no, right. I want everybody here. And again, I just thought, that's a little weird. It's almost as if they're always injecting a really heavy dramatic scene. And they have these conversations in places where I don't get it because I don't know why he wanted the whole ship to hear. And I'm, I was even thinking about last week. I, I'm sorry. I still can't deal with the fact that they stopped with those creatures around and they start introducing themselves to each other. Right. But so it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit unbalanced. So it's, it's like, you can yeah. see that they're trying to, I guess, rein the show in and get a little bit more um, consistent in the tone, but you can still tell it's a, it's a new group of people. So the mm -hmm. little things like the DMA, it, it kind of didn't make sense. Little things like that, but overall I liked it better than some of the other mm -hmm. shows I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed this week. Mm -hmm. there, I, there was things like that too. Like he's, he, uh, let me give you my confession. Like, well, I got this ship full of refugees here, and there's an anomaly coming, so I'm gonna fly away from it. Yes. and you just go ahead and talk while while we're going. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> right, right. Now, what did y'all think about Michael's decision? Which, and also, I I gotta be honest, I thought that that I hope that's not setting up a rift between Michael and Book because I felt that was awfully contrived with. He's like, oh, you gotta save him. She's like, basically, excuse the language. She's like, he's a grown ass man. I can't, I can't. And then he's like, well, we gotta save him. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I felt like that was almost inserted to start a rift between them, and I'm really hoping they don't have a rift. Yeah, I hope not. I, I could see where book would not want anybody else to die by yeah. this anomaly because he's just seen this whole planet die. Right. But you know, I did have the thought that season one Burnham probably would have stunned him and drug him yeah, <laughs> and just yeah. taken him against his will. And yep. it's kind of nice to see season four Burnham sort of saying, okay, well, it's not my right to, you know, to, to make you come and I don't like your decision, but I'll respect it. So I think that shows some growth on her, at least, you know, to me. Yeah. As long as whatever you want to do doesn't harm other people and you're making the own decision to kill yourself. Peace out. I gotta be honest. I would have stunned him and taken him. And then I would have dealt with him being pissed. And this is horrible. Then later on, I was like, okay, well, if you want to die, you can do it. But I, I wouldn't have left him there at that time. Yeah. What, what would y'all have done? Mm. I would have left him there. The <laughs> so. very first time, he's like, I'm going to stay here. It's like, you sure? Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of like when people offer to not pay the for something. Because Veronica would have showed up at the prison. And they're like, we don't want to go with you. She's like, all right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> never would have rescued anybody. Well, I mean, if they make the decision and that they're fully informed. <laughs> well, that's true. I had to try. I don't know if y'all do this, but I watch so many times I watch Star Trek and I'll think I'll, with an eye of I'll I'll plug in like, what would this have been a ship of Klingons? What if this had been a ship of Vulcans? And what you said, Charles, about Michael when she was more Vulcan. I, I can see Vul a Vulcan captain would have said, okay, if you want to stay here, it's not logical for me to stand around arguing with you. I'm gone. And Klingons would be oh, like, okay, whatever. Bye. You know, glorious death. See yeah. you later. Peace out. Good day to die. <laughs> We're out. So I thought we'll sing a song to you while we get drunk later. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that did have some really old Star Trek flavor, basically, yep. where you have a culture that literally holds up a few people as an example even though they didn't, well, other than him, they didn't do that much. And actually, one could even argue, even though he killed that guy, he's been in jail for 30 years. I mean, that's a long time. Yeah, he has been there for a long time. Now, did you guys, um, and I wouldn't have if I hadn't seen this pointed out in an article before the episode came out, but did you recognize the species, the Akali, who were living in that colony? No, and I, I didn't look it up. They're from the Enterprise episode Civilization. 
where um, it's one of the early Enterprise episodes. They arrive and they're sort of looking down at this primitive society from above and they're looking at the clipper ship going by and they have to infiltrate the society. They have the little things on their heads um, and they're sort of like a look kind of renaissance That was the same species as these guys who were at the Emerald Chain Colony, which that would have taken place a thousand years earlier. So interesting. I I, I thought that was a cool touch because it was very subtle. Yeah. Um, and it's I like that kind of world building where one okay. show, you know, can can see a can come across a species in 2151 and they're sort of Renaissance fair level technology. And then, you know, you come across them again in 3189 or wherever we are now. And they're, you know, and they're on an asteroid colony, you know, yeah. like, you don't have to explain how you got from here to there in a thousand years, but it's, uh, it was a long road. And, and, and <laughs> that's good. That's a good job. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And a funky asteroid uh, colony it was too, wasn't it? With all those little connectors. Yeah. A wild looking colony. Yeah. I, I wonder if they could like travel between asteroids with those connectors, if that's what that was for. It was, it was different. It was different. Yeah. Speaking of um, going back and callbacks, of course, you heard the name of the two starships at the beginning of the show. Yes. 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 <laughs> I went, really? I, I, I wish that I think that we've had enough ships named after old Star Trek characters. Right. I think that we can surely there is someone noteworthy between the 24th century and the 32nd century. <laughs> or not even them. not even a person like anything else. Yeah. Just make up names. I mean, yeah, I, I did notice that. It, it threw me for a minute when the captain of what I was thinking of as the Vulcan ship yes. was like, what the hell? I know, and then right? it occurred to me that she's probably a Romulan because yeah. they're, they're, <laughs> the Navarre are Vulcans and Romulans. So, but that threw me off at first. I was like, wait, that's how strange. I even wondered, but again, to your point, um, this is in the future. I even wondered, because I know if you've never seen, I even wondered if traditional Vulcans would even name ships after people or if they would think that as, I don't know, mm. weirdly no, illogical. I don't think they would. Yeah, I don't no, so. I don't know. There was a there was a transport called T'Pau on Next Gen um, in oh, Reunification. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, that yeah, that was the the transport that they were looking for at the the scrapyard. You know, the yeah. um, the Romulans had used it. So there was a T'Pau then. Okay. Um, so there's another ship called T'Pau. Speaking of callbacks, did you did you see all the planets and stuff on the on the hologram they were looking at when they were talking about the DNA? yeah. I, I, I didn't have time to pause it, but I was sort of picking things out as it was going by. It was. I did not. Starbase One, Telar, mm. Taniba, Proxima, and right in the center of the screen underneath TIG, Wolf 359. Wow. Is listed <laughs> Denobula, Starbase 10, the Gilius okay. Cluster, Tagus, Telon, and Pryor's World. Was he Pryor's World? What is what is Pryor's that's, World? That's I remember Pryor's World. That's an old reference. But gosh, I'm gonna say I read that in one of the original series books. And and somebody please hmm. correct me if not, but I remember that name. I thought that was kind of cool that they put all those out there. Uh, and speaking yeah. of, what did you guys think about Tig being back? Which shocked me. I didn't even know that Tig was coming back on the show. And she was in the credits this time. I don't think she's ever been in the opening credits before. Uh-huh. Not I remember. But um, yeah, I'm I'm happy for her to be on the show anytime. Just yeah, as, in any capacity. Just the sarcastic and dry sense of humor. Yeah. I literally yeah. laughed out loud when she said, and I can't even do her well, voice. That just happened. Yeah. And she literally goes, <laughs> she, and she says such a she says, You just came the closest you've ever come to killing all of us. And that's saying <laughs> something. <laughs> and Stab was like, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought she, I thought she was good. Yeah, circling back around to Ru- Ruan Tar- Tarka mm-hmm. am I getting that right this time um, I thought it was cool that he was Rysian. I kind of like the thought of the pleasure planet obsessed people 
of Risa, hedonistic and everything. And there's just one just miserable jerk living there. Uh, <laughs> it's like yeah. an outcast on Risa. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. But like maybe he was a dick because he was so smart and he was so frustrated with all of these people around him. Sounds like it. I wonder if, if he would have been um, a different person had he been raised on a different planet. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I thought it was strange that they had to, for one, that he so quickly could build a replica of the thing that they yeah. vaguely know what it is right. to project one. Agreed. But also that they had to do one like right now. And they're like, well, we don't have enough power because we're evacuating refugees. Like, well, we got to try anyway. Like, what? Do you? Yeah. You try right now. I thought that was strange, too. That that felt a little bit contrived because. Um, yeah. And then he gave that long speech, which is basically, I love myself. Therefore, I won't kill myself. I'm like, I'm thinking that still doesn't mean that you can't be wrong. I mean, yeah. Like, right. <laughs> and then Saru waits till they get to 5%. The attainment feels about to drop. So, yeah, yeah, I thought that was weird, too, is like you're going to you're going to build a model of a phenomenon that you just think you figured out in main engineering on this ship and it could go really wrong. You should have waited till they got back to a star base or you know, some. Yeah. Facility. Or like done it um, yeah. on an asteroid. Absolutely. Something away. Yeah. From like a barren planet. People. Like yeah. yeah. Or project it into space and not yeah. into the next room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found him very entertaining. I, yeah. I like yes. him. I, I'm sure he'll be back because he seems like a character who's going to recur. Yeah. yeah. But um, Book seemed to think that he knew more about this anomaly than he's letting on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where did he uh, that make that? The conversation at the end. How did Book make huh? that intuitive leap? I, I missed that. Where did Book Yeah, he that? just met the guy. Right. I don't know. He just met him in that last scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> accused him of being behind him, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that calls was it like weird. he sees it. I guess. Yeah, it was because it's like, have you guys had a scene together yet in this episode? Yeah, <laughs> before the scene. <laughs> yeah, that was a little strange. But um, and then he ha- he had the the mark on the back of his neck that looks like those emerald chain implants. That's and he that was removed. talking about he was talking about how well revenge can be a powerful motivator. I don't know. I don't know what's up with this guy. Me um, Ooh, maybe he's trying to frame the um emerald chain for this okay to punish them and how's he how do you think he's gonna frame them for it i don't know he's gonna find a way that's that says this is it maybe it's not actually man-made and he's just going to say it is and he's going to say it's the emerald chain because he wants to get back at them that could be i guess it makes as much much sense as any other theories Thanks, love. <laughs> I, will, I will say that uh, Dr. Colbert continues to hold my attention. And yes. I, yeah, yeah, he was great. He really is. And I, I think, you know, we've talked about you guys especially have talked so much about how all the um, the back, the, the secondary characters don't get as much to do. And I mm-hmm. I do think his the writing for him is better. But I really think and I'm really just seeing him for the first time more. And he's mm-hmm. a, he's he's a really good actor. I love the subtlety yeah. in which he carries himself. And I love what's going on. Which is because yeah, you think about that. The guy died, like he said, like the other guy said, you died. Yeah. You know, dude, yeah. you, you're you're messed up, and you're gonna be messed yeah. up. Yeah, I I like how they tied that in with him feeling guilty for being alive. Mm-hmm. That so many people have died, and yet I came back. Right. I thought that was nice. I I did like Kovic. Um, he basically called it basically said that he was painfully generic. Like his reactions were painfully generic. <laughs> yeah. Like, is that a criticism of the earlier season? <laughs> like, 
dogs. <laughs> I thought that was interesting, but yeah. uh, I like what they're doing with him, and I hope they keep doing it because I like that character a lot. And I, I think it's it was a brilliant stroke instead of just him just being the doctor, right? And how often do they need a doctor, you know, right? Um, of transitioning him into that therapist role or counselor role. So that he has more, I mean, basically all he does is hang out and have important conversations about, with characters about yeah. their feelings, you know? Yeah, they're doing something interesting with varying degrees of success, but what they're doing is they're really showing, um, you know, sometimes people talk about, you mentioned earlier, Charles, that sometimes shows reset. They're really showing that all these people are dealing with trauma in some shape, mm-hmm. form, or fashion. Because if you think about it, like when he and um, he and Paul were in bed later together, he was like, we come a thousand years in the future. And he's like, why can't we get it together? And I'm thinking about that. Yeah, you're a thousand years in the future. Everybody you knew is dead. And so he has his trauma. Stamets has his trauma, which is why he's so focused on trying to fix this thing for Book. Book has his trauma. Tilly actually has her problem. So in one way, it's kind of interesting to see. I know some people have objected that I've read some people. They've objected to that because, you know, they just want Star Trek people to just be perfect and go on. But I kind of like the fact (laughs) that they're dealing with they're dealing with a lot. Yeah, they really are dealing with a lot. And I think that is going to stay with you for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I like that they're they're continuing to spend time on the relationships on the ship, mm-hmm. um, both with Book and Burnham and with Culber and Stamets. I I did think it strange that again, Bur- instead of an elect landing party, uh, Burnham just takes Book with her. That's yeah, the second time we've seen her do that in the show. Or that or- Burnham goes off on the mission, even though she's the captain. Agreed. Well, she's going to do that. I mean, she's a 23rd century Starfleet officer, so I don't. Yeah, but still, I, it doesn't hurt my feelings that she's going to go on the mission. But I do feel like she should bring some security guys or a science or scientist or. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, 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 there's so many characters on the show that don't. I mean, they didn't even have Book and Adira. Not Book, but um, Adira and Gray in the episode this week. Yeah. Because there was nothing really for them to do, but you could have brought them to the planet. You know, I mean, Adira having a science officer along would have been plenty helpful, I would think. I thought you so, know? too, because because most of the time they the, the thing is they meet Book's ship, his unique ship. But this right. time, you're right. They just beam down. And then it was Michael, which is a nice callback to the fact that Michael is an incredible scientist, that Michael was the one to figure out how to turn off those beetle ra- buzzsaw throwing things that was kind of wild. Yeah, but you're right. I was thinking right. the same thing. I'm thinking, well, if she hadn't figured it out. And Book is incredibly smart. He may not have been able to figure it out. So I do miss the old school landing parties where you had a couple of people, yeah, that, you know, that were just there. Like a Riker and a day. I mean, like a Wharf and a Data would have yeah. been very handy in that mission. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. But I'm wondering if, if I mean, if she, is she bringing, she spent a year with Book, just them two adventuring around the, yeah. the galaxy together. I wonder if she's more comfortable just working with book than she is with the Starfleet crew now. Good point. Maybe that's why they kept, they keep bringing up their adventures. Cause we still haven't really seen, yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing those adventures one day, at least a couple of them. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a flashback episode. Oh, yeah. Cause evidently they did a lot. seems like they were, I don't know. They were running. I don't know what they were doing. They were doing what illicit cargo and all kinds of weird stuff. I don't know. It's like a whole venture series there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you could. Uh, and I like Book. I, I don't too. mind having him on the way, uh, the landing parties, but it just seems weird that, you know, the first episode of the season opened with just her and Book on, right. an, on, a, on, a, on a mission together. And in this episode, they did the same thing. Right. So, yeah, I don't know what that's about. I think overall what I'm feeling, and again, I like the show, I'm thinking that today's episode felt to me in a lot of ways one of the most balanced in terms of, I think it was well written and well acted. But I still personally feel that sometimes they have a few too many plot threads in one episode because they the, do. 
the people on the examples in an original series that would have been the entire show or even in TNG yeah. or it, and then maybe the B story would have been Stan Litson, what's his face? What is his name? Tarka? 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 Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That might have been like a that might have been like a B story. But yeah, they they sometimes still. And the thing is, I'm not criticizing because every one of the plots I like, but sometimes I feel as if they have a little bit few too many plot lines in one episode. And so I feel like they're getting short shrift. So I to what you're saying, I, they could have probably expanded the whole thing with the prisoners, brought some more people in and then just maybe done the whole thing with the DMA. And so I think they're cramming the shows a little bit too much, but that's more along the lines of I want to see. I want to spend more time with each of these individual stories than I think we're getting in one episode. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier, um, Alan had sent me uh, mm. a message with some of his thoughts on the episode. Okay. So I wanted to read those before we wrap it up, see where sort of where Alan, where we agree with Alan and where we don't. Mm -hmm. All right. said so, uh, I very much enjoyed it. Once again, a mostly traditional episode, the prisoner mm -hmm. dilemma was engaging and interesting and the visiting scientists coming in and being smug and, taking over the project felt 1000% TNG to me. Loved it. Keith totally nailed Culber when he talked last week about his unique situation of having died and come back. Go yeah. Keith. <laughs> Thank goodness for the return of grumpy lady. Best line of the episode to Stamets. That's the closest you yeah. ever come to killing us all. And that's saying something. Yes. <laughs> Third episode now with no Detmer or Owoshikun or Bryce. Who are these other people flying the ship who aren't Detmer or Owo? On that note, I was super excited to see Reese step up to lead a mission, but yes. I was super irritated that we didn't get to see any of his mission. Good point. I did not for one second miss Gray and Adira. I don't dislike them, and I know they're important for representation, but I find them extraneous in the extreme. I did miss Tilly, though. It felt weird to not have her, but I'm glad she's gone on her own adventure. Loved Saru stepping up and taking charge of the science mission. And then one more thought. This episode had a great example of how much television has changed over the years. Yes, the prisoner situation was interesting, but in, the T in TNG, the difference in perspective between the prisoners and the alleged unjust society that imprisoned them would have been the focus of the episode. Mm -hmm. We would have had scenes of confrontation between the two sides with Picard mediating. Yes. There would have been a debate about prisoner rights. Yes. Picard would have lectured Beverly about the need for the prime directive to keep Starfleet people from passing judgment on another society. The right and wrong and pro and con of all parties would have been represented and examined. We only got a nod to that kind of depth here. I'm not saying one approach is better or worse than the other. Just making an observation. Hey, we all agree because I agree with him. I, I agree. Yeah. It was it was too many yeah. too many balls in the air, and I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting as we were going along that we kept saying things that were that he had sent me mm. in, in his message. So, uh, you and Alan, if you ever have one of those chances to play one of those like mm. games where you guess what each, other, each other's thinking, <laughs> you and Alan would dominate that game. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think that the prisoners were given kind of short shrift, and then at the end, it was yeah. um, she was really. I don't know. It was it was interesting when she basically told that dude off. And she was like, "Well, basically your colony's gone, so you you're not in charge of nothing, and you're going to be a refugee, and basically you're going to, you're going to depend on the kindness of strangers. You better adjust your attitude." Whoa, she ripped him a new one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh, and uh, I am very disappointed that the little ball thing it wasn't something more spectacular and storyliney, and it was just like, "Here's your thing," and it's the tree well, and yeah, walk away but it's important to her her father was killed now her colony's been destroyed and but now she's got a record of her of her lineage right but i thought it was gonna like play into the bigger picture oh yeah yeah oh before we go can i say uh, one thing the computer is sentient and has emotions and uh, <laughs> michael 
And she just like, oh. And then she walked away. Uh, like, yeah. Is that going to come back? <laughs> it's got to. Keith, how, how, how would you feel if your computer said, I can feel feelings now? Like, oh, wait, what? Yes. <laughs> I would be more concerned than yes. she appeared to be. Because one, I watched too much Star Trek, and I know that always, that never ends at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, she hasn't actually watched any science fiction, so no. she probably doesn't know how those things go. No, <laughs> but that doesn't end. Just like the ship's computer is like, I'm feeling all these new sensations now. Like, uh, <laughs> yes. Somebody get Tig on the phone. Yes. <laughs> and it's if, if it's scanning her, then that means it's listening into people in their bedrooms. It's yep. yeah. It's maybe making an analysis on the missions. Like you, you better do something about that. I know she was distracted, but I'm like that to you. Like that literally would have been staff meeting. We got to see yeah. what's up with this. And like, already like 2001 style yes. where you're like out of the ship in a shuttle right. whispering to each other. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> We're living in a sentient AI that feels feelings. Yeah. Yes. I so I thought that don't the way, piss it off. I thought the way that it was handled was really weird because she literally yeah. just kind of like, oh okay, oh, huh, interesting, and huh. then she walked away like, no, that's a big deal. <laughs> it really is. It ought to be. <laughs> yeah. Like on again on next gen, that would have been the story of the episode. Absolutely. They had to figure out by the end. It wouldn't just be like, huh. <laughs> that's gonna be important later. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. The ship could become murderous, or it could it could it could just decide to activate the spore drive, and it may figure out how to do that. There's all kinds of weird things going on there. Oh, and no I'm kidding. We keep saying one last little thing. Why is that dude working on the spore drive and Stamets is not at his facility? Why would anybody in that time work on the spore drive and not have Stamets reassigned to work on it with them? I'm, I, yeah, you would think that they they would have reassigned him to Starfleet. Absolutely. And that he would just be working on the the mark two spore drive now and I, I mean i also thought it was weird that he was offended that the guy's smarter than him like dude you traveled 900 years into the future like surely there's a scientist around that knows yeah, more than, than that's you do know you more i hope right yes yeah, so if, if i go 900 years in the future and i'm the smartest person around <laughs> humanity's in trouble <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes yeah, so that didn't make any sense they have two known humans that can activate a spore drive one of which is the creator of the spore drive but they have been working with this dude who's like oh yeah i've read all your stuff and i'm, I'm sure i can improve on it that kind of didn't make sense but i guess they wanted to do this so they can introduce them so mm. yeah well and, and that's a good point you make you have two people who can operate the spore drive and they're both on the same ship yeah. like oh, is yeah. it smart to have these like what <laughs> ships flying into an anomaly <laughs> yeah. you know like well, you don't want to lose these guys yeah. especially like you said now one of them's always going on away missions so and yeah yeah exactly he's the entire landing party <laughs> yeah. now and it has a borderline death wish so yeah that's not a good one wow yeah, overall i enjoyed it. it it really did feel it felt more balanced i think that they just probably wanted to watch the plot threads because there was too yeah. much of a good thing and i just really wanted one or two plot threads to get give us more time with them but that ain't a bad thing yeah yeah it's, it's got some of the peculiarities that sort of discovery storytelling has and has always had yeah um we're just weird weird plot things will just be stated and mm -hmm. everyone accepts it and moves on you know that that that's happened before and it'll, i'm sure it'll continue to happen and, and and awkward bits of setup like that bit with the uh the computer yeah where it's like i'm sentient now Okay, <laughs> we've established that. We've checked that off the list. Yeah. You know, it, well, the characters don't exactly act uh, in a natural way, too. Right. But I mean, it was an entertaining episode. It's very Star Trekky. You mm -hmm. know, the you know having a scientist come on board who's either egomaniacal or just maniacal is very Star Trek. Absolutely, the long history of that. Oh yeah. Um, and then also having a you know the the whole bit with the the prisoners on the planet felt like a very Star Trekky thing as well, oh, yeah. where the the captain's having to go save them because the society won't. Um. 
But I thought it was very entertaining. Like I said, but at the at the start of this, I thought the, the guest stars were great, particularly the guy playing Felix and the guy playing Torca. Tor- yeah. Torla. I, I don't know. I'm not going to get it. <laughs> the guy playing the scientist. Yeah, Torca. I have it written down T-O-R-K. Tarka. Yeah, T-O-R-K-A. Might have been an S on the end. I don't remember. <laughs> I agree with that. What did you think, Veronica? I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, and really, that's what you need. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Well, Keith, where can people find more of you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and on the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. That's right. And then coming up in February, we'll have another fucking puppet show that we're going to be at. But also, we've been invited to perform at the... Ooh, I'm going to get the name wrong because I didn't prepare. Is it the Sunday Sinful or Sinful Sunday Burlesque show? I think it's Sinful Sunday because I think Sunday's in the middle. And yeah. I remember that because the date that we were given is a Friday. Yeah, so that'll be sort of mid-February around Valentine's Day. So we'll have more time to talk about it in the future, but kind of exciting, something we've never done before. Uh, and Veronica, do you have a closing for us? Yeah, I just came up with it. A book on the shelf next to me made me think of it. Um and also um, a, a, a very sad passing from last Friday. Mm-hmm. It looks like we've made it once again. It looks like we've made it to the end. <laughs> I probably sing that really, really bad. Yep, and but... that, that was Veronica's little tribute to Michael Nesmith. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah and news. we have the Giant Monkeys book on our shelf right here, which is what Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.